Should I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you gotta buy. Live from elementary school, this is the award-winning stamp show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 372, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. And Witless Tosh. Yes, you can support this Witless Tosh by joining the stamp show here today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. Listen to the end credits for more information on joining. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Jim. This is Scott. This is Don. And we got a letter from Scott H. from Marion, Ohio. And he says hi, and he asks two questions. First question. I may be shooting myself in the foot here, but I have noticed that there is a market lag between the time the SMQ price increases and eBay listing prices increase. In this inflationary period, I've been able to buy several stamps that were priced well below new SMQ prices. Meanwhile, auction companies seem quicker to respond to the new SMQ prices. I am wondering how you alert eBay sellers and dealers to value movements. Should we just keep this quiet? First of all, Scott, what is the SMQ? The SMQ is a valuing guide, and it is based on what a dealer would reasonably ask for a stamp in a particular condition and grade. So SMQ, the stamp market quarterly, uh, has traditionally been updated quarterly, but now as we're moving away from printed editions, we're, it's more of a continuous update thing. So when an auction has a, it does particularly well or particularly poorly, we review the auction results and we'll update the SMQ. We'll also look at dealer price lists, eBay asking prices, eBay selling prices. Uh, anytime a dealer has something unusual that they want to report. A lot of times if a dealer has something that um, has a population of one or two, a lot of times I'll get an email or a phone call that says, hey, I just want to let you know I sold this item for this amount of money. And uh, I take that and I look at it and uh, I'll look at what the SMQ price is and if it needs adjusting, then I'll adjust it. But I can adjust those online. And so uh, it's more, uh, more continuous now. There's no way for me to know who all the eBay dealers are, who all the everybody is using that. So it's it's just something that 
uh, the dealers are responsible for checking themselves. If you're selling a stamp, it's your responsibility to know what it's worth. Now, if you're going to, if you asking a price, obviously you're likely planning on making a certain amount of profit based on your expectations and your business model. So, um, if the SMQ price goes up, you can either adjust it or, you know, basically what I would do is I would leave the price the same and then maybe just not accept lower priced offers or something like that. Whereas traditionally you may accept a small discount. Well, so the SMQ used to be printed. Used to be printed. Quarterly. It was a little book. A little book, yes. And now... And now it's online. We're online. Oh, well, that would be gradingmatters.com. <laughs> yeah, gradingmatters.com has a uh, version of it. However, the Kelleher Connection, which is a magazine put out by uh, Kelleher Auctions, David Kugel, great friend of the show, uh, he now has a pullout in the center. And it'll be basically sort of in three parts. Four parts, actually. Oh, four parts. Oh, that makes a quarter of that does make it quarterly, but it actually makes it makes it annual is what it does. It just takes a different section, but and it it doesn't include all the information. Um, a lot of stamps, when you go to the to the printed Kelleher connections, may only list uh, a stamp as never hinged. The most popular collecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but if you go online. It'll give you the used price. It might give you the hinged price. It might give you a no-gum price. There's there's lots of uh, more information online than there is, but uh, it's an easy, quick guide to carrying around some of the more popular conditions and values. For those of you uh, familiar with coin collecting, it's basically the gray sheet for stamps now. So um, why is there a lag? Well, obviously, there's a lag because I have to wait till something sells at auction before I get notified. So in, in that respect, from that portion of the market, there's definitely got to be a lag. Um, as far as eBay goes, I can go on eBay anytime and look and see what sellers are offering. And then I can also look and see what they've sold at. Uh, dealers update their websites regularly. And I, I can go to their sites, but uh, the auctions are generally where it lags the most. But, I mean, when an, e an eBay dealer puts an item up for buy it now and it just sits there for two, three, four, five months, SMQ, you know, other sales may say the I should adjust it up, but then I have this one deal, one or two or more dealers that have these items up that say, well, don't change it because, you know, they're still offered at that and nobody's buying them. So, uh, you know, I, I have to look at the age of some of the auctions, too. And uh, Well, Mark, you deal with this literally every single day. Right. So what do you do? Uh, if, I, if I've got an item that, I've, that has been listed for a while and I see that the SMQ has adjusted up, I'll change the listing to, to reflect the new SMQ value, but I typically won't change the price because, um, you know, it, 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 that's, that's the, the market that I'm in. If I'm, if I listed on eBay or listed on Hipstamp, that's, that's my customer base. So, um, I don't have the same kind of customer base that an auction house would have. 
So while the that item might sell in the same grade for higher at an auction um, on Hipstamp and, and eBay, I'm obviously not getting that that same value. So I'll just leave it, you know, I'll, I'll leave it as is. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. The auction houses, the auction houses will list an item, type it up, look at the SMQ and everything. Then it goes to auction and it sells. So they're in their quote unquote, I'm using finger quotes, you can't see it. Uh, their quote unquote inventory doesn't have uh, a lifespan of more than, you know, maybe six months, maybe. And so that's why they're always up to date. The second thing is they're really kind of not up to date. They're the people who determine the numbers. Well, in, a, in part. In part, they're not the whole picture, but they're a good part of the picture, um, especially at the higher end where you have lower populations and and higher value, higher graded material. Um, the, well, yeah, like <clears throat> the run of the mill stuff that that most people put in their collections, you know, very fine, fine, very fine, uh, very fine, to extra fine. That <clears throat> that range is typically not an auction house type of item, and so. Those prices tend to come more from eBay and dealer price lists. Well, Denny, shout out to Denny. Um, he just sold a, what, C10, right? C10. C10 at Siegel Auction. What's a C10 catalog? Oh, I think it's uh, like twelve fifty or something like $12. that. $12.50, $12.50 on there. He, he had a grade 100 that sold at the Siegel auction for $2,000. I actually think it was 100 Jumbo. 100 J. <laughs> so, so he had not, he had the top of the population, the, you know, the top of the market there. There's no better. Yeah. You, I mean, you, you could find one that's equal, but you'll never find one that's better because it's, it's a 100 J. It's the best you get. Right. And so this $12.50 stamp sold for $2,000. Sold for $1,700. No, no, no. That was, but the person who got it for $1,700 also had to pay. Correct. On top of that, he had to pay the 18%. Right. So, so that the, put it up to So the S&Q actually shows the, the sale price plus the buyer's premium. So in, in the case of Siegel Auctions, it's 18%. So $1,700 plus 18%. Yeah, it makes it pretty close to $2,000. Yeah, a little bit over. So, so that's that's where you get the $2,000 price for that in the SMQ. So there... Because the population's really low. If they have a pop of one and it sells, I mean, it could sell for $58 or it could sell for $58,000. That hammer price plus the premium is what's going to go in the SMQ because there's only one. Yep. Until another one pops up, then we'll find out what it's really worth because the guy who's willing to pay the most already got his. Yeah. So now you're selling to the second highest person. Right. And then we'll really know what that stamp may be worth. Although I, I'm not sure. I don't think his was unique. It, it was just top pop. No, I think. I think there was two or three. There were a, f a couple of them. Yeah. So it wasn't like his was a unique item, but it was top of the pop. Right. But even on the lower grades, like 98s, uh, they may sell at auction differently than they sell on eBay or Hipstamp because it's, it's, a different, it's a different marketing strategy. Or, or the, the auction house is selling as, as an active sale, mm -hmm. whereas on eBay and, and Hipstamp, it's a passive sale. Well, there's also a knowledge level which needs to be addressed. You know, people... We'll say, 
Lloyd, we have talked several times, he lives by going on eBay and looking at stamps and buying stamps off eBay that aren't graded and then getting them graded. Well, well, you know, you have, you have a, an auction house who puts a stamp up for auction, and they have a list of clients. So they email, they mail, they, they contact their clients and say, hey, this is what we have for sale. There's a sale coming up. Come on, buy, bid, bid, buy. Right. And whereas the eBay dealer, he puts his stuff up, and there's no notification to the buyers. Right. They have to go look for it. Actually, to unless find you're it. Noble Spirit, I was very impressed with it. Noble Spirit. There are there are a couple of auction, uh, online auction uh, eBay users and things like that that do have mailers when they put new yeah. items up. But Shout most dealers, new. it's just a continual thing. They list stuff every day, and you know you may have a, a customer that buys grade ninety eight never hinged stamps, on, but you may not list those every day, and so you're not going to think, oh, well, and I need to contact these five customers because they usually are interested in this stuff. Well, tomorrow you may be contacting five different customers because that's the material you're putting up. Um, you, you, as a dealer, an eBay dealer, you probably don't have time to do that. Search through your list. You probably don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. Well, that unless you keep wacky records, yeah. <laughs> so... Scott's second question, why am I paying for insurance on my stamp collection? If I have a loss, will the insurer really pay the full retail value of my stamp so that it can be replaced? I'm not really concerned about the low value items, but I have several hundred graded stamps, and I wonder what I would receive from stamp proceeds. I do keep an inventory in my collection, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he uses Hugh Wood Insurance. So, first of all, don't take insurance information from a dude on a podcast. Uh, look at your insurance policies, read your insurance policy, and check with your insurance agent. That said, we do here have a lot of experience with insurance. And uh, generally speaking, it depends on the insurance policy. Some insurance policy will recover what you paid for it or what you reported its worth when you first bought the policy. Or um, it will be like a dealer policy. It'll replace the retail value because dealers pay a lot more money for their insurance than collectors do. But the... Uh, general answer is I love Mark's answer when we were talking earlier about this go ahead and tell him what you did well it, instead of paying for insurance I tried to uh, pay money to prevent the loss in the first place and that I invested in a safe um, and a safe that is large enough that you just can't pick it up and walk away with it it's it's a substantial you know size safe that you can fit uh, a, a lot of people in and uh, <laughs> And so the same money that I might uh, pay to have something insured, I'm paying for something that actually is an asset to the house. I do the same thing. Mine is bolted to the floor. So right. uh, you have to open the safe to get to the bolt to unbolt it from the floor. Or you need one hell of a good crowbar. Right. So uh, it, it is how you handle your insurance is something that you really need to look at, you know, 
do you move your collection around? Do you exhibit? You know, are you shipping exhibits around? So every, you know, there is no stock answer for everybody, but check your insurance, check your insurance policy, check your insurance seller. Yeah, generally homeowners policies don't cover much for collectibles. You can get a rider, but then, uh, uh, you know, you have to really be careful about what, uh, you know, what that coverage is. Yes, very much so. And there was, uh, there was one example where a person had a stamp. They had purchased the stamp, sent it in, and it turned out to be a variety that was worth 8000 bucks. They mailed it. It got destroyed in the mail. It was a mint stamp. Uh, it got wet and looked like it got run over by a truck. So the stamp was lost its gum and was damaged. And so it wasn't worth $8,000 anymore. So, and this is postal insurance, which is different from everything else in the world. But postal insurance, he went to the post office and he said, uh, okay, this stamp was destroyed. Clearly, you guys did it. Pay me. And they said, well, how much did you pay for the stamp? And he paid $50 for the stamp. So they cut him a check for $50. Uh, that's an example of, you know, read the policy. It, it didn't replace the stamp's value. It replaced your loss. Well, I, I've sent things on insured mail. And if you pay for extra insurance, you can insure the item you're mailing for up to a certain amount. So if he had used that option, insured it as the variety, would he have had to pay, would he have been stuck just with what the, he had originally paid for it, or would they accept that? It depends, but <clears throat> generally speaking, postal insurance sucks. Yeah. And they're going to replace your loss, and your loss was 50 bucks. The other, the other thing is, is that Scott brought up, if you have a certificate for the item, as the variety with the value. Which he then, did. Which he did. Then then you would have a better um, case to make under a traditional insurance. Postal insurance, like you say, is a different thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure. But you would think that they would honor that, too. I wouldn't put it past but, the postal insurance adjuster to say, well, what was the face value of the stamp? <laughs> <laughs> it was a two-cent stamp. Here you go, two cents. <laughs> I don't think they're in the business to give away money. I don't think they want So this to goes do. back to the the old adage that I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, check the type of insurance. Are you insuring versus the value of the item? Are you insuring against loss? See, if he had said... I am insuring this for, well, but he couldn't because he didn't know what it was. He, when he sent it to PSE, it was a $50 stamp. When he got it back, it was an $8,000 stamp. If he had done something, and I don't know exactly how he could have, but if he had done something, he could have insured himself around it. But again, insurance and, you know, I'm an economist and, you know, is. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it, I believe Hugh Woods Insurance does do that, does cover it. I so I believe it does. However, it would it, still be in the policy. You'd want to check. Yeah, check your policy still. I'm sure that Hugh Hugh Wood has been in business forever, so he has seen everything. Well, and and because it's a policy written by collectors for collectors, right? So. 
it's going to cover some of those things that the regular insurance companies may not cover just because they don't have the expertise yeah. to know what can go wrong. Yep. So uh, just a little side note on insurance, and this is just because I'm an economist along with everything else I am. Uh, insurance changes the time value of money. So the hit the the reason why you would insure a collection is let's say you have a fifty thousand dollar stamp collection, then it gets lost, and then you want to replace it. If you have fifty thousand dollars sitting in the bank, then you buy a new collection. If you don't have fifty thousand dollars in the bank, then you rely on the insurance company to give you the fifty thousand dollars to replace it. That's why health insurance works. You pay a little bit all along because the time value of the money, having the money there when you need it, is what you're paying for. That's what insurance is. Insurance isn't health care. It's having money so that you can buy health care. It isn't, you know, a lottery winning if you lose your stamp collection. It, there's, a, there's a lot of things people think insurance is, which it isn't. And uh, in this case... You know, you buy the reason you would buy the insurance might be because you're, like I said, shipping your exhibits off. You're taking your collection to stamp shows. It's in your car and you're driving it around. You know, there's reasons why you would insure. Um, personally, I don't have insurance on my personal stamp collection. I have a safe and I have security. So, I'm like Mark, I am self-insuring because I can replace what I would lose. But if you can't, then you buy insurance. So, something that has nothing whatsoever to do with stamps. And we were talking about this earlier. Do you all know what a contronym is? Right. Yeah. And that's that is something that you use to prevent uh getting a family. <laughs> <laughs> or a group that's against the nims. Right. Mm -hmm. Now it's a cross between an antonym and a synonym. It's basically a word which means two different things, both of which are opposite of each other. So like an example is dust. You dust your strawberries with sugar, or you dust to remove the dust. So one is adding dust. Adding particles adding or subtracting particles. Exactly, and it's the exact same word. And I saw this, I heard this on another podcast. This is blatant theft, but uh, a couple of them are like dust. The other one is... Um, Sanction. I love sanction, yeah. You sanction something to stop it, or you sanction something to promote it. So sanction is its own opposite. Screen, you screen something to show it, or you screen yourself to prevent it. Like you screen yourself from the sun, or you screen a movie to see it. And I thought this was really good. What are some other ones here? Cleave. Oh, yeah, cleave. Cleave is to join. You cleave something together or you cleave it apart. And uh, 
overlook. You can overlook something to watch it really close, or you can overlook something and pay no attention to it. <laughs> so contronyms is something that I learned today and I was very impressed with, so I wanted to share it. A shout-out to Ruby in Colchester, um, England. I want to get, please, and I know you're a good listener, some of the mail art declarations. She's the person who originally sent us the witless Tosh stuff. And so uh, she sent me a nice letter from England that unfortunately got pen canceled. But uh, on the back, there is a mail art declaration, and I really like this little declaration form. Uh, for those of you who, uh, and I assume kind of that she's in business, Pops Grove Philatelic Company, and uh, it's in Colchester, Essex, in England. And uh, check out her stuff. She's a good listener and you make some really, really great stuff. So please tell me how I can buy them. I will send you a PayPal. So anything else today? I think you covered it all. Okay. Then, oh, I do have one more thing. A uh, very nice guy, Exodus Rickert. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, I'm guessing he's 10 or 11. He's starting a YouTube channel on stamp collecting. And can everybody please go to YouTube and do a search for wild ass stamp or do a search for I'll be stamped and uh, click on a couple of his videos and watch them for at least 15 seconds so that he gets the view numbers. Let's get him some views. He's a Really great kid, and uh, I like his uh, video on wild ass stamp. It's it's he talks about a stamp that has a wild ass on it. <laughs> Just a French stamp. <laughs> I know, I remember it's a blue stamp, but I forget what country it's from. So uh, Joseph W, here's an outro for you. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah.